Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 44. I'm Sean and this is a special report on LobsterCon, which is when London on board take to the seaside and play lots of games over a weekend. Yeah, so twice a year, a number of us, it's gone up to over 100 this year, head down to Eastbourne on the south coast of England and we play some games. And we do this usually just after Essen when we're playing all the hot new releases. And in the springtime, we go down there and we tend to play more old favourites. So Sean and I thought it might be interesting to look back at what we played. There's going to be games there we've covered previously, but you might learn what our thoughts are on them. We both played a few new games and just generally have a chit-chat about the weekend away. I've been going for a while as one of the organisers. Sean, it was his first Lobster Con. And maybe we'll start off, Sean. What were your thoughts before we kick into the games? Ronan, before arriving, I was I was quite worried because there's a lot of people you don't know and just thought space with a 100 people going, but it was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. As soon as I got there, people were asking me, oh, have you got a game? Do you want to join us? The very first opportunity I had to play a game, someone grabbed me and we played Roll for the Galaxy, but more of that later, but I had a thoroughly good time, Ronan. Did you feel well hosted? No, the host, hosting was... <laughs> <laughs> If only they had t-shirts. You've been hosted. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so you're going to be hearing from us about a number of games. It's going to be much quicker than we usually do. It's nothing like a picking over the bones. Just our brief thoughts on everything we played. Sean, give us the roll call. And of course, as always, we are very, very proud members of the Dice Tower Network, where you can find gaming podcasts of the absolute highest quality. We're also proud members of 2d6.org. You can go there for gaming goodness in audio, visual, and written format. I got down to the York House Hotel early on Thursday, and our whole weekends were out of sync. I got there a day before, Sean, but I missed the Saturday. I had to go to a wedding, but it was a lovely wedding. Congratulations, Erica and Ruby. I had a brilliant time there. So the way we're going to roll through this is I'll do my Thursday games, Sean do his Friday games, and then we'll alternate the days, and you'll find that I miss out on my Saturday. I got down there, and I was grabbed by Adam, who had a Kickstarter game he had yet to play, and it was... 27th Passenger, A Hunt on Rails. This is a deduction game in which there is a deck of passenger cards of 27 of them, and the players will be one of those passengers. We had five players playing, and each of the 27 passengers has a unique combination of characteristics of scent, looks, and voice. Each player has a deck of action cards as well, and on each turn, everyone secretly selects an action card, We all flip them over simultaneously and then we go through the phases A to D and the players take their action off the card they've played. And what you're trying to do is work out who the other players are from this list. It's like grown-up guess who almost. You're trying to work out have they got uh, unpleasant scent and a deep voice and a casual look. Then you've got a chart on which you tick people off from the information you gain and you'll say, all right, I know exactly who that is. And... The train goes through a number of stops. At each stop, passengers get off the train. You don't find out immediately who they are, but in a couple of turns' time, those cards will flip over and you'll be able to eliminate them from your investigation. And there's a countdown going all the way. You can choose to assassinate your fellow players. If you choose a role which is not that player, you are out of the game. So you have to be fairly sure before you make that move. 
In terms of how it played, I enjoyed it. I like deduction games anyway. As a group deduction game, it was pretty good. The rule book is not great. It's written in a combination of Greek and English. It's all English words, but I think some of them might be put together in a Greek order. The designers are Christos Giannakoulos and Manolis Sakaradis from Purple Games, and I think this was one of their first games anyway. The rule book does need a little bit of tidying up. There were some funny moments in it. The fact that you're looking for scent is quite funny. That meant that I was role-playing and I was pretending to hide in people's seats and I was hanging around the ladies' toilets and doing things like that, trying to sniff people. And overall, you know, I enjoyed it. From an unpromising start, because no one had played before, no one really knew the rules. Like I say, Robert wasn't great. You kind of got that, well, yeah, it's, um, it's first game of a con, I don't mind, I'll give it a go. Surprisingly enjoyable, and I would be very happy to play it again. So from what you've said about it there, Ronan, it's a game I've not really even heard about. It sounds a Beats on the nasty side, bit combative, would you say? Um, it, I think so, yeah, because you have to actually select who you're asking questions off. So, when I, if I do an investigation action, I will play a card on it, has to be a particular person. And once you play through a couple of the rounds, it becomes clear that the people who know most about you are the ones you're going to have to eliminate. So, if for example, Rachel was learning lots about my characteristics. I'm then forced to take her out of the game before I go. But no one really took it too seriously. It was quite clear from the start we're trying to assassinate each other. So it it never really got nasty or anything like that. It was just, well, this is part of the game. You're away. We're trying to eliminate each other. That is the whole point of the game. So, yeah, I guess if you really don't like that sort of direct conflict, avoid it. But if you're playing deduction games like this, you know, the likes of, I would always say, Avalon and Spyfall and One Night Werewolf, you're playing those sort of games to front up to people and challenge them, and that just comes part and parcel. It's like saying, I don't like worker placement and worker placement games. Yeah, no, fair enough. And it sounds like it probably is quite group dependent, as you said. If you like that type of game, then you're going to get on with this. And if you don't, well, probably steer clear, yeah. Yeah, but it's more structured than those games. There are definite rules to it. That it's less wide open and just, you're not going on nothing. You are getting solid information about someone. That is how they look. That is how they sound. That is what their voice is like. That is how they smell. So it's it's not as woolly, if you like. Although, don't get me wrong, I love those games. But there's more to go on. It's not just, is that person lying? It's, what can I work out from this information? Definitely deduction game. Moving on, we said that we were playing old favourites. And the next game was a brutal game of Robinson Crusoe. It just all went wrong. Every event that came out was very Isn't that different. Every game of Robinson Crusoe. Oh, but this was worse. We were playing on the first scenario, Castaways, which I've done loads, and I would say I probably win 75% of the time now in the group. And this shit was never even close. You know, the big problem with Robinson Crusoe is you have to get a shelter up, and then you have to, before the weather comes in, you have to get a roof on there. The problem here was. <laughs> For some reason, we didn't get our beast deck going quickly enough. Now, if you don't know the game, in order to build the shelter and build the roof to protect you from weather, you either need to use wood or you need to use skins. You can get wood, but you need that to build the fire to win the game overall because you have to build a fire and lit it by the time 12 rounds are over in this first scenario. Or you get skins from going hunting, but you have to put animals in the hunting deck, and we just couldn't get them in there. We had landslides. We tried to move our camp. A landslide knocked us backwards again. We got the car that is plus one wood for everything useful you want to build. So you can't build your shelter early. We found the tile that has shelter automatically on it, but it was off in a corner, so it wasn't a good place to build our camp. The morale took an absolute kick in, and in that game, 
the minute you start taking wounds, morale starts going downwards. Everything starts getting more and more difficult. I went to go for a lucky hunt, for example. I was like, all right, we need to get some skins. We need to get some food. We had a weapon level of, I think, four if we used the broken bottles, which we had with us. And we had one card in the deck. I flipped it, and it was a gorilla, which is the joint toughest animal in the whole deck. And things like that were happening every time. Along and- with a flock of goats or something. <laughs> the goats are not <laughs> The gorillas are six. The goats are incomprehensibly a four. I haven't seen goats that scary. Anyway, we died on the sixth night, Sean. We got exactly 50% of the way through, and I have not done as badly in that game in a long time. I think we still had fun. Everyone was still sort of laughing, but there was definitely a feeling of impending doom all the way through. So Robinson Crusoe is one of my, my favourite cooperative games. really like it. It can be brutal, as Ronan's <laughs> gone through in detail there. But yeah, I think that's the whole thing about Robinson Crusoe. You are up against, you are on a desert island, it's supposed to be tough, so sometimes the planets are not going to align for you and you are going to take a kick in, but... Oh no, they aligned, they just aligned the other way. <laughs> Bloody gorilla on a lucky flip. Actually, the funny thing about the gorilla was I was being told by I think every other player, don't do it, don't risk it. I was like, no, no, we need it, we need it, it'll be alright, it'll be alright, and I flipped the gorilla and... Yeah, I copped a lot of abuse. <laughs> anyway, not having enough of tough co-ops, my next two games, I played XCOM. Now, we reviewed XCOM last show, so you've got a good idea what I think about it. In this case, we played with three, myself included, three experienced players who knew the game quite well. And then one other guy, G. So in the first game, I think as per a lot of people, G was a little bit lost as the new player. Things were going on around him. He was the scientist. And it's very hard to know because as a scientist, you're choosing those research cards. You have to kind of work out the repercussions of what you're doing. It's very difficult to do that without really knowing the rest of the game. So he was, don't get me wrong, he was playing well. We were all getting cards out, but he didn't quite have the flow. I think he felt a bit more lost than was shown in his gameplay. But anyway, we lost that game in round five. We were playing on normal, though, which is, normal's pretty hard in this game. The second time around, I was the comms officer, central officer in the first game. We swapped around. I became the squad leader. And playing in the squad leader, now G stayed a scientist and everyone else knew their roles. I was just completely focused on doing one thing. I just, how many soldiers am I allowed? Great. That's what I'm going to do. And to be honest, the rest of the game happened around me. I was just sitting there concentrating on who do I need to get to elite? How can I best use these cards I have in front of me that G's producing me? How much money has John given me as the commander? And just completely in my own world. And at the end of the day, we actually won on normal. And we had a huge number of UFOs on the board. We were really pushed to it, but we managed to get the final mission done. There was a sense of achievement. I was in the game. I was very much invested in it. But I didn't really feel like I was playing with the other guys around the table, Sean. There seems to be more and more of a problem is that people are starting to do their own thing. That's kind of the talk around LobsterCon with the people who have played XCOM that they felt that the co-op side was starting to slip the, the more they knew the game. So is, would that be a reason behind it, that you're getting to know the game a lot better and maybe you're just focused more on your own job? When we talked about the game last episode, we were talking about the visual noise from the board everything there's so much going on it's kind of hard to pick out what you need to know i think as you get more experience it's not just the visual noise it's also the mechanical noise you just clear everything else out i don't care as a squad leader i don't care where the ufos are as squad leader i don't care what's going on with scientists just i'm not making a decision on what card you are just give me a card and then i will then use it i don't care what the commander is doing with his budget other than 
shouting sometimes, I need a couple of soldiers this turn, give me two credits at the end, when we've done the budget so we can buy soldiers back, or how many have I got? Five, great. I'll make the decision from there as to how I use them defending the base and doing the mission. So you get to filter all the noise out. It does become quicker, though. The game just goes, goes, goes. But the closer we got to winning, because I wanted to win it on normal, because I felt like, you know, I had to get that final mission done, I was completely shutting down. I was just completely looking at what I had to do, like I just said. So you do have to work as a team. The things you do have to work together, I think the commander's really the only cooperative one. I think Commander Central Officer had a bit of a conversation going on, because Central Officer is obviously taking well, the information that, in. See, that was what I was going to ask you, sorry to jump in on you, but I was going to ask you, did you feel that maybe the, the Commander and the Science Officer, possibly, were the only cooperative ones going, because Science Officer has to think about the other players, and obviously the Commander has to think about the all-around all budget of the game, etc. I think Squad Lead is the one where you're worst off not, not giving a damn what else is going on. With scientists, you're trying to see where your priorities are as a team and then picking the research for that. But sometimes it's really obvious, like getting money out is just a no-brainer. Get money out. Something that saves the death of an interceptor or death of a soldier, get it out. Reroll alien die, get it out. <sighs> Central officer, just by the nature of their role, knows what's going on. I guess the commander has to know what's going on. So maybe it is mostly squad leader that's the problem, but I was in my own little world. I was playing XCOM, the computer game, while they were playing all the background noise. I was just sending my, my soldiers out and doing missions. So, But I enjoyed those games of it. I can't say I did, but it almost, almost felt like a solo game. So it, I haven't really changed my opinion from last time. It's slightly conflicted. How does it play best? Does it work all the time? Will everyone get on with it? No. Does it play best with four players? No, I don't think so. Was it interesting as a challenge? Yes, it was. Am I desperate to play it again? Not really. And as Sean knows, I just traded it away because everyone I know has got a copy and I got a copy of Suburbia for it. Woo! Okay. So you mentioned it earlier. So let's talk about it now. I then played Roll for the Galaxy. I played it once before. We talked about it with Chris Marling a while back anyway. And this was my second play. We played four player. Gosh, it was dull. I was so bored. My head was down. I was rolling some dice. I had some limited choices. Other people were at different stages of the game than I was. You only really have to do explore at the same time as each other when the phases come up. I didn't really care what anyone else was doing. I didn't really know what anyone else was doing. There were people rolling dice while other people were still doing their production. We were having to say at some point to everyone, all right, stop, stop, where are you, where are you, where are you, where are you? There was four solitaire games going on around the board. It's longer than a game of Race for the Galaxy, it's looser than the game Race for the Galaxy. There's less planning. There's no benefit to this over playing Race for the Galaxy for me as a gamer. If you like dice, it's a nicer production. If you find Race for the Galaxy, you don't like the symbols or what have you, you haven't got over that hump, fine. I'm not saying everyone has to enjoy it, but for me, I just sit there going, I wish I was playing Race. This has just got nothing at all for me. Although it is a great production. There you go, I'll throw you that uh, I see now you're encroaching on my Friday games. That was my first game on Friday. Well, don't, don't you say a word. <laughs> you hold on to that, right? This, this is about you as well. <laughs> okay, Sean's thoughts pending. Let's move on. After being a little bit miserable there, I played a game I haven't played for a while, which I own, and you know what? I need to get it out more and more and more. Concordia. I keep forgetting how good this game is. Maybe it is because of the ugly box. I just don't want to play it or whatever it might be. I had so much fun. We had five experienced players playing it, which meant the game went quickly, which meant when cards came out, other people knew what they were about. When people were going into towns ahead of people, you could see what they were doing and why they were blocking it, why they were making it more expensive for you to build in there. 
when people were taking the bonuses for provinces and then the money was building up, there was a balance there because you knew at some point it wasn't going to come back round to me, all that money, because everyone was on board. There was some great use of stealing other people's top cards. It was so close. There was a tie for first place and then three points back, there was a tie for third place. And then the fifth player was just a few points back from there. I tried to focus on the yellow and the blue cards for having lots of provinces and lots of non-brick cities. I got the cards really well. I got lots of yellow and blue in my hand, but then I just failed. I don't, maybe because I haven't played it for a while, I couldn't get my economy going. I needed Sean in my ear to sort out my economy for me, my economical expert. I couldn't get the right combinations. I only had one Mercator card, which means I could only buy and sell once, which meant I couldn't really trade up as much as I wanted to. And then I just got a little bit stuck. I really thought I was doing really well, and then I didn't quite make it. I was tied for third. It was fast moving. Like I said, it was thinky. Everyone was following what was going on, and I had a brilliant game with Concordia. It's a game for me, Ronan, that I've still only played the once, and it's high, high on my list to play, but Yes, like you, something just locks it from the memory when you're thinking about what should we play next. Maybe it is that box. Maybe there's just something that doesn't stick in the mind from the games. I don't know, but I I just haven't got those extra plays that I really want to get. And I never think It's odd. I think there's something in the water. Steve Padgett did one of our Essen briefs this year. Well, he didn't come Essen 2013 with Sean and I, and he asked for one game to bring back, and he asked for Concordia. And we brought it back to him, and he still hasn't played it. Mm, interesting. And it's a, it's, <laughs> Just whatever it is, yeah. And it's a real Steve Padgett game as well. It There's really nothing is, about yes. it that he shouldn't be absolutely gagging to play it. But, I yeah, there is something about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know they changed the colour of the box. I've got the beige one, and they brought out, like, a maroony burgundy Ooh. one. That's going to do any difference uh, at all. Exciting. <laughs> anyway, Concordia was... I really loved it. Next was another old favourite, talking about SN 2013. I played Palmyra. And I played it twice. I haven't played this one in a while either. It's the tile layer from Burned Eisenstein. If you don't remember about Palmyra, we talked about it before. Like a lot of Burned Eisenstein's designs, it is a tile layer, but it makes you think slightly differently to other tile layers. There's slightly different aspects going on. There's a dual economy in the game. You've got two figures, you need to lay tiles, and they follow the path of the tiles you lay. And the tiles have to match symbols or colours to the other tiles that they are adjacent to. I say tiles a few more times, and then you're going to either get an income in, guess what, tiles, or in money, which equals points. And it's balancing between the two, because if you go for points too much, you run out of tiles, and if you go for tiles too much, you're never going to score any points, and the game can run out really quickly, because once the pile is gone, that's it, it's over. And we played it once, I think there was a couple of new players, a couple of us refreshing to it. We had Terry with us, who had the most plays logged on BGG for a short while. I'll tell you that story in a second. And because it does make you think differently, we decided we'd just play it again, because it's quite quick, and we played it a second time. And it does, it feels tough. It feels like you're never quite playing it very well. I'm not sure I had fun playing it. I'm not sure I sit there thinking this is a barrel of last, but it was certainly interesting uh, playing it. We had a few moans about being too reliant on tile draw and the luck of the draw really screwing you over, which did happen if you can only play one tile with a special feature on per turn. And if you just keep drawing out tiles with features on, you can only ever play one tile, you're going to get behind. Once you get behind, it's pretty difficult to get out of. However, it is quick enough that I don't think that's a massive problem. And we all enjoyed it enough to play it twice. So I think it's still a good, strong, slightly different. If you're looking for a bit of a thinkier tile layer, Palmyra is a good choice. Well, Ronan, as you know, I'm a big fan of Palmyra. I really like it. It's a pleasant conundrum, I would describe it as. It just keeps the brain ticking over enough 
without getting you too engrossed in it and too head scratchy. I like it, and I like it so much that I actually bought it off someone in London on board. So thank you, Dean. Okay, so and the quick, quickly, the story was Terry, another contributor to the game pit, was saying how Palmyra is one of the games where she's around about the most plays. She had a couple of others, which I really can't remember now, but she was in a high dudgeon because someone had logged 50 plays in one day of the game of which she was most plays. I think it might have been Gardens, which you're going to talk about in a while. And she was, yeah, but, I, but at least I've got most plays of Palmyra now. And then one of the guys playing with us, John, logged 15 plays of Palmyra for that day. <laughs> Before anyone gets too upset, he did take them off again. But Terry was... Uh, she was less amused than the rest of the table, shall we say. Why you got, why you got to be such bullies? <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> How many plays have you got? 13? Oh, I just logged 15. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, revealing too much of most of six sense of humour. Right, last game I played before we went to bed was Red 7 which is Carl Chudik, a quick filler card game that's come out relatively recently. There's a deck of 49 cards. There are seven colours, and they're all numbered one to seven. And the red seven is the highest number card, and then the lowest number card is, someone's going to tell me off now, violet one, I think, and it goes to the colours of the rainbow. And on your turn, you can play one or two cards. You can play one of the cards down as its number and colour, or... And you can play a card to the middle, which changes the rule of the game. So the game rule starts as highest card is the winner. The, each color has got a different rule. Could be most cards played of value less than four. Most cards are the same color. Most cards are different colors. Longest run of cards. At the end of your turn, if you're not winning, you're out. So if you can't change the rule or play a card to make it so that you're winning, you're out of the game and the last person standing wins. And it's been getting lots of interest. There's lots of copies floating around London on board. It was a good game. It was cool. I'm happy to play it as a filler for 10 or 15 minutes. We played it with extended scoring, which takes some cards out, and you're trying to hit 30 points. That seemed like it extended a bit too far, and with cards missing, options were narrowed down a bit. I'm not sure the extended scoring adds anything to it above what it is as a quick 5-10 minute filler. But as that, it was a huge hit. It was getting played lots and lots late on the evening as the alcohol was soaking into people, and people were winding down for the day. And yeah, I enjoyed it. Red 7's a good, decent filler. Yeah, not a lot to say on that one, Ronan. Yeah, it sounds like exactly what you said. A good, decent filler. Yes, you should always agree with me. I should, I should. It should be in the rules. That was Thursday done. A solid day's gaming. It all slows down from there, by the way, because as the fatigue and the booze gets to you, you don't quite play that many games. But Sean, you rocked up on Friday. How'd it go? Right, so Ronan, we've already talked about it because you had a game of it, and I started my LobsterCon adventure with Roll for the Galaxy. It was the first thing someone grabbed me to play as soon as I walked in the door, and myself and the wife sat down to play a four-player game of it, and I get everything you say about it. I get it. It's, It's solitary, it's head down, you don't really know what anyone else is doing, but there's something about it I just like. I suppose you always accuse me of playing that way, especially in an economy game. And I suppose that game gives me license to play like that. So I do put my head down. I do play my own little game in the corner. The four of us enjoyed the first game so much that we played the second game straight away. The same guy won both games, I think, because we worked out he was the only one who got his economy going straight away because he got the lucky random tile draws. 
So I think there may be a flaw there, but I like it. And off the back of that, the missus decided she liked it so much that we bought it. It was one of the, I will say, the two hits of LobsterCon. You turn around, you usually saw one of two games being played. We'll talk about the other one later, but Roll for Galaxy was getting played all over by lots of people, and they had all the appearances of having fun. Whether they were high or drunk, I can't comment on. <laughs> Did you have any idea during the game that that guy was winning? Uh, the first time, yes, because it was quite a close race, and everybody was kind of looking who's going to finish first. And we could see that he was doing well. My wife was doing well. I was doing terribly as usual. So we, we were motoring along. But the second time, he finished the game well. I think we only had like five or six planets, everyone else. So everyone was proper, head down. And he was like, oh, I've won, by the way. Ah, oh, okay. I had about three moves planned ahead there. Never mind. So the second game wasn't as enjoyable as the first game. I will say that. Hmm. <laughs> lovely production it is lovely production <laughs> but is there any difference playing even one player or two player than there is four player no no it's not it's not a group game it's definitely not a social game anything but but what it does do I, I enjoy it's just a, a watered down race for the galaxy if you don't want to get into the depth of race but you want the sort of elements of that then it's a nice game and it was a really nice introduction to LobsterCon it was something I was familiar with that's easy to learn for the other people there's nothing to it if, if you're happy I'm happy <laughs> who am I to be the arbiter of what's a good game or not so moving on we went on to a game that Nathan who is also featured on the Game Pit podcast decided he wanted me to bring down and it's Police Precinct which is the 2013 release from Common Man Games another game that Ronan has had problems with there's a, <laughs> <laughs> a theme building it's only funny because you called it a game I like it stop being mean so Police <laughs> Precinct we have covered it in one of our shows but it's basically a cooperative game where you take on the role of police officers and you've got to solve crime general crime in in a fictional city and there is also an overarching murder or major crime that's happened and you've got to solve that crime that's that's your end game that's how you win the game or lose the game while you're solving this main case you've got to keep the crime in the city down there's various things happening there's road traffic incidents there's loads of street hoodlums building up on street corners causing you problems lots of cards coming out that are bringing new and quite interesting problems too so you've got to work as a team in terms of who investigates the main case who keeps the various things then who's good at what some people are good at arresting street thugs some people are good at going and dealing with emergencies that arise that's the general gist of it the game we played it was it was enjoyable everyone seemed to enjoy it but we got absolutely hammered we didn't do the basics of the game early enough we didn't get the murder investigation underway early enough so we just ended up running out of time we spread out to the four corners of the board which meant we couldn't lend assistance to each other you each get a police card on your turn and this have little special powers or you can lend assistance to other players by using the icon so it didn't work out everyone seemed to enjoy themselves it wasn't the best game i've had of it but it was definitely an interesting game i just 
never seen the game work. I can see how it could work, but for me, it's on that tipping point of too often it doesn't work. There's not enough interesting decisions. You said you didn't get the basics of the game done. You probably tried to explore. I'm going to put words in your mouth. Tried to explore the gaming space there within Police Precinct and found out there's no gaming space to explore. It's scripted. It's on tracks. You have to take certain actions at certain times, or you're going to get destroyed by the game. Which to me means there's just a lack of options and a lack of decisions. And I just don't have fun with the game. There's not a whole heap to explore. It's, it's fairly sort of black and white. Either you go off and do your own thing or you lend assistance and you let something slide. That's probably, if you get down to the nitty-gritty, they're your choices. But it's a little bit of planning, a little bit of forward planning is the most important. If I go off on a tangent to solve this crime and everybody else goes to the other side of the board, it's going to take me two or three goes to join up with everyone else. So I'm effectively a dirty, hairy, maverick cop off on my own, doing my own thing. You like to think you're wow. a dirty, hairy, maverick cop. <laughs> That's what gets you to sleep at night. Whereas really, I'm just dirty. But anyway, <laughs> we didn't play with the dirty cop variant. Uh, nice, nice lead-in, uh, which I think would lend an extra element to the game where somebody's actively working against you. But maybe this game might be a little bit too difficult, especially with the higher player numbers, if you had that dirty cop. I think it would be something similar to Alien, where if you've got the player acting against you, just make the game possibly uh, impossible. Possibly impossible? Maybe make the game impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously possibly impossible. Possibly impossible. I don't think it was the hit of the weekend by any stretch, but I think everyone was interested enough to have a little discussion afterwards what we could have done better and what we did well. So, yeah, that was it was a nice game, and I, I'm glad to get another play of it because it's a hard one to get to the table because Ronan hates it and he hates me. Anyhow, <laughs> moving on to a game that I know Ronan does enjoy. Letters from Whitechapel, the 2011 release from Nexus and now Fantasy Flight. This is another game we've covered in the game pit. It's where one player takes on the role of Jack the Ripper during the Whitechapel murders of law. And the other players take on the police from the time. And you're basically trying to catch Jack as he does or she does five murders over four rounds. Jack will secretly move from location to location and the police officers will try and find out where Jack has moved through. Jack then has to leave a token to say that they've moved through there. You've got to figure out either where Jack is at the moment or where Jack's hideout is and block them off. I'm a horrible Jack. Uh, Ronan's actually a pretty good Jack. He's probably the only one I've seen win as Jack so far in the games I've played. And we put a complete noob to the game in as Jack and she did a lot better than I did and that was Georgia she did really well on her first round had us running around in circles I've never seen as much chat about a game in game as there is with this one everybody is discussing where they think the person is where's the hideout how many moves have they taken where could they possibly be what should we do one of us should maybe go that way one of us should go that way it's really really good cooperative game maybe not as fun for the jack player if they like a cooperative game because they're acting on their own but i think it's a really good group deduction game so sean i was playing games next to your table and i could see everyone getting into this game discussing it, enjoying it, but you only got to the second round, didn't you? We did. 
I love the game. I really enjoy it. I think it's very tough for Jack. I think if the police get at all organised, you're in big, big trouble. I know that Georgia was doing clever things because she was coming over and chatting to me about how to use the map and where she could go with, with different things. It's not like she was playing, obviously, or poorly. And yet you still hunted her down on the second night. And is it just too tough for Jack? If you have an organised police force, or even if you know the police get lucky on one of the first couple of nights and they're in... You talked about how, you know, the famous game that I won. I think we talked about it before as Jack because it's so rare. It's because the first couple of nights I took short routes and I got home. Yeah. And you didn't pick up any sort of a path. That, I, I think that's the key to it. I think the first night is absolutely key to how this goes. If you give the police any indication of where you're heading on the first night, then they can almost narrow the board down to one, one section out of the four. Uh, sections of the board so that's a tiny little space for you and jack to maneuver in so i think it's very important that you get home fairly quickly on the first round as you did and then the police in the second round are kind of starting with no real indication of where jack could be that's definitely as jack where you want them to be so i i saw that you guys had fun but i just felt like maybe there was a little bit of not being fulfilled by the game because of the way it went and because it, it kind of crashed, it was setting itself up to be amazing. And then just, you know, what, and the thing with Jack, of course, is you're not sure where they are. You're not sure where they are. I've caught them. There's a real like, boom, right, it's over. It doesn't really crescendo. It just, oh, I, I disagree with you on that one. I think that the, the police people, maybe not me, because I actually, because it was my game and I introduced it to everybody. I kind of wanted Jack to do well, which is kind of counter to what I should have been doing as a police officer. So, so you were playing the dirty. Cop I was playing the dirty cop in Jack the Ripper. Interesting. Um, You're but the other police characters were all really chuffed with themselves that they'd worked it out. There was a little high five moment at the end between I think Terry and Natalie, where they were like, "Yeah, well done." I think Natalie picked it fairly early. She seems to be quite good at that game, quite frustratingly. And there was definite. Yeah, we've done it. Oh, it was really good. We worked that. We used our brains. We deduced where Jack was. I'm not sure how much fun Georgia was having. I mean, she'd probably tell you herself, but she was she was quite proud. In fairness, she didn't punch you in the face. She was having fun. <laughs> the rule. I, I think the fact that I told her I go, I always get caught in the first round, and she made it to the second round. I think that she was quite pleased with that because she could just go boo sucks to me, but. I think I think a lot of in that think, sort of language, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, exactly. But I think a lot, all of us actually did have a lot of fun, and I think there was a crescendo to it because we were getting closer as the police, and Georgia was getting more and more nervous. She was up and down like a fiddler's elbow over to you, across to other people, hopping from one foot to the other, and so I thought it actually had a nice arc to it, but. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. We had fun. We had fun. So, we're going to move on to a game that we actually brought with us for the longest curry in the history of Eastbourne. We went out for a bite to eat, and it lasted two and a half hours. Thank God that the G-Man, the aforementioned G-Man, brought a game of pears with him. So, at least we had something to do while we waited for the longest curry in Europe. So, yes, pears. A push-your-luck game, released in 2014, but cheap-ass games, and it plays two to eight, and there were six of us playing it. So it's a very simple filler game. Pack of cards ranging from one to 14, and there's one one, two twos, three threes, etc. So you get dealt your original card, 
and basically choose to twist or pass once you once you get the card if you get a duplicate of the card you've already get it's got to go into your score pile and once you hit a certain number then you're out of the game the way we played it is that the person who hit that certain number of game just lost the game so that one person wasn't out of the whole thing so we started we reset and started again it's a fun little game it was interesting not a lot of choices but it is a filler and as I said, it kept the boredom at bay while we were waiting for our curry. Ronan, have you ever played pairs? I have played it Ooh. at London on board. I know G and Lloyd are doubly, triply excited about it. Yeah, I think that if I was waiting for a curry for three and a half hours, <laughs> I'd be glad someone brought it. Not sure I can think of too many other situations. <laughs> no, I'm getting a little bit hard. It, it is perfect for that. It's, but I'm waiting for something I've got nothing to do. All pairs. Oh, that'll be fun for five minutes. Yeah, that's exactly where it sits in the gaming world that's, for me. And it's perfect for that. Yeah. It, it fills that niche. Yeah, wait. Nice idea. You know, yeah. simple, kind of obvious, but getting asked to play it in the middle of the night, <laughs> night I was a bit, what? No, I don't... If- if it was brought out on in a London on board event or something, I'd be probably like, nah, not really. It's not enough to it for me. I've, my gaming time is limited, so probably no. But it's the perfect... I like to think of games that I could play on the train, that kind of thing, with a few people. It's that perfect kind of game if you've just got that part of the time and it's inoffensive. So, yeah, thank you, G, for bringing that and saving us. Now, moving on to Gardens, the 2014 release from cosmos gardens is a tile laying game where each tile has a corner of a garden in your color you've also got gardeners that move from one section to another and when you place a tile your gardener has to be able to reach it via the path and the gardeners can be blocked off by the tiles by other players so you have to be able to reach the garden tile that you lay once you have the majority in the in terms of the four corners of the garden then you get to lay one of your garden tiles on top of that and that will score you a point and it's the first person to get rid of all their garden tiles it's quite a thinky root building tile layer which is not up my street anyone who's listened to the show has had me whinge on about i'm not really good at root building games so not really my thing but i actually enjoyed it it's a nice fun game that is not completely mindless and there's a couple of elements you've got to think about and it's actually quite a nasty game there's a lot of scrimmage the two people that were more familiar with the game again played with g and played with terry who was kind enough to teach us the game they went easy on myself and natalie but they really went to town on each other and were blocking each other off left right and center and stitching each other up and that i saw how the game probably should be played i'm terrible so i finished last and because of that natalie had a nice little procession to victory she did very well in her very first go but i think mainly because terry and g just absolutely ripped each other apart but an interesting game ronan yeah, I have this game. I got it because my daughter's quite like tile laying games, and I thought with the garden's theme, they might enjoy it. And you're right, I think it might be a little bit too thinky for younger children. I think you get into above 12 or whatever, that's when it starts to shine. It looks innocuous, but there's definitely, there are thorns amongst those roses, Sean. 
They surely are. Yeah, but I do enjoy it. I don't think I actually said what I thought about the game. I do enjoy the game. I've only actually played it a couple of times. Like you, I'm probably looking to play it a bit more. And that idea that it's a nice, friendly, garden-building, tile-laying game, now I've got over that in my head, I want to play it with a different mindset to see how what I can explore from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the best praise that I can give this game is that it's a root building game and a tile layer that didn't want to make me gouge my eyes out. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's as good as it gets for me. I, moving on to a timeless classic, a game we discussed with Chris Marling when he was on the episode. It's for sale. I'm not sure how much of an introduction for sale needs, Ronan. It's a very famous game and a very popular game. Ronan, I always love this game. I always love this game, Sean. I know you always love this game, Ronan. It's a classic. It's a great game, Sean. It's a wonderful game. It, was it great? It was great. It was great. It was if you actually... haven't played it, go out and play it. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It is a, so much more than it shows on the surface of this game. you really got to think about how much you're bidding, how much you're holding back, what you're going to get for the properties. And it's, yeah, I think Chris Marling said that it was mindless. And I probably agreed with him at the time, but after this game and being completely rinsed by G and Natalie again, I uh, will probably lean towards yourself, Ronan, in terms of it's not completely mindless. There's enough random in there that you don't mind because it's short and the same player isn't going to win all the time. But if you play badly, you're going to lose. Yes. There's no, yeah, you have to play well to give yourself a shot to win, which is, I think, perfect. For I'm me. sitting here with my hand up, Ronan. I played badly. Yeah, bless you. <laughs> And that brings my Friday to a conclusion. I was absolutely out on my feet at this point after a thoroughly, thoroughly good day and a nine-hour curry. So my Friday began with a bit of a monster and a game you've heard about tons on the show, so we won't go on too much. I started with a game of Yido, which we had planned beforehand. There was four of us and we picked up a fifth player in the morning. Three of us had played it before, a couple of us quite a few times, and there's a couple of newbies in there. And it is a vicious, tight worker placement game. Four of the five players stalled at some point. It's a game in which that's very easy to happen to you. So I started strongly. I went into the lead and then mid-game... I fell apart a bit. I couldn't quite get what I needed. I wasn't winning the right auctions. The events or the patrol were blocking the areas I need to be in to get my engine going again off equipment to do missions. So I, I had a fallow period and I picked back up again at the end and I went from first down to last and I finished second. I finished second on 45 points, which if you've played Yido, I think I've seen lots of games won on 45 points. Put it that way, it's a decent score. But one player, she's the other experienced player of it, just played the perfect game. Now, she didn't have the kill the Shogun, end the game immediately, lots of points mission, because I had it and I was too inept to be able to do it. But she scored 60 points. The track only goes to 60 points, and I don't think I've ever seen anyone get near 50 before. So, just a fantastic game by Vicar. She absolutely wiped the floor of us. She was constantly, constantly scoring points. Never had a fallow period. There was lots of groans and moans and swearing and oh no and as Yido should be at its best it should feel tough and mean and you should be annoyed with the game and that's exactly how this was it was a long start to the day we basically played it from breakfast through to lunch but it was well worth it another fantastic play of one of my favorite games sounds like you got taken to school brother 
<laughs> it was a ninja school run courtesy of a Russian lady. It was brutal. And there was no uh, people storming off into toilets, refusing to play, flipping <laughs> tables, <laughs> threats of violence. <laughs> no. Although those stories were told again because most of the culprits were at Eastbourne. But no, there was a couple of people there. There's a guy I've known for five years. I've never heard him swear and he was swearing. So <laughs> we did pretty good. Okay, we're moving on from you though. We played Phoenicia next. Now, Phoenicia is a 2007 auction game. It's actually by Tom Lehman. We were talking about Tom Lehman's Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy, where he designed this auction game. It's set in ancient times. You're trying to set up the economy of your own city. You've got workers which you can train and then send out to do various jobs, and then going to earn you coins in which to win auctions again and build up your infrastructure or they can also earn you points it's the first to a set number of points now when the owner pulled it out Kester I didn't remember the game as we got into it I remembered that I had played it before it is all about the auctions there are clear strategies to go down there are paths in which you you buy certain bits of infrastructure and they give you discounts for further on bits of infrastructure because the deck is layered into four different levels if you like so you know you're going to get level one level two level three or four level four it's obviously going to score you more points as in most games and as we played, I realised, oh yeah, I remember this now. None of us really challenged Kester. Kester was by far, he's a very, very good games player anyway, but he was by far the most experienced player. And the path he was going down, a couple of people started off sort of challenging him and then we just let him get on with it, which means he absolutely wiped the floor with us. I mean, I was second with probably half the number of points he had and the others were right close by. Second to fifth, he could have thrown a blanket over us. He was miles and miles and miles ahead. So it's a game, I think, that's going to reward repeated plays to know that, do you know what, it's worth wasting money almost here to stop someone else from getting ahead. Although I did feel like you were jumping on a grenade a little bit. If I bid up to stop Kester from getting something, I was just giving the other two guys a chance to catch me up and then he still had his money, so he could buy the next one around. I couldn't, and we all almost had to be stopping each other from playing. And I think that's only going to shine when everyone knows the game. I tell you what, I remember that I enjoyed this way, way more than my first player, Phoenicia, and it has improved its rating to a four out of ten. Yeah, and it's one of those sort of euros that just sort of fades into that sea of euroisms. It's doesn't stand out from the crowd for me. I'd like to give it a go. I never know which one it is compared to all the other ones, so maybe next time it's around, we'll have a game. Uh, not with me, you won't. You did hear four <laughs> out of ten, didn't you? <laughs> okay. So, even by this stage, I felt like I needed some fresh air. So, out I went, onto the beach, and we played some games of crossball. Now, crossball is... Basically a game of bowls, not bowling, but bowls, with hacky sacks. So you've got one target, little ball, hacky sack, which you throw or propel however far away you want. And then the person who's starting the round decides how you have to propel your hacky sacks to get near to the target. And obviously we went through throwing, went throwing left-handed, throwing right-handed. We went through headers, we went through kicks, we went through under legs, we went through behind the back, we went through flicking it, we went through off your elbow, we went through off your shot. We did every possible human means of propelling hacky sacks towards another hacky sack on a pebbly beach. And it was very, very funny. It was a chance to get a couple of hours of fresh air. It is surprisingly difficult to head a hacky sack, Sean. And it was a lovely break, to be honest with you, to get out from the gaming rooms and just have a laugh. And because we all know each other, and there's lots of people there, I know, obviously, and we're used to sitting around a table and playing and socially interacting over a game, 
to actually get away from the game and be outside and be doing something different was a really nice break. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was just a nice time. It was cool. You've got to get out sometimes from those Firstly, games. Firstly, Ronan, you've gone yes. completely against the spirit of, of Eastbourne and London <laughs> and Wards. <laughs> and you've, you've gone off on a tangent and it's not appreciated. Secondly, how many hacky sacks did you lose on your massive heat? <laughs> I don't know, but it became apparent about an hour in that when I worked out I was about three times the score of anyone else that I was the only one keeping count. I might have been taking it more seriously than <laughs> What, that old rice? <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Oh, something physical? Oh, I'm going to win. Oh, I'm going to break you people. Good man. Move it on. Moving on, so that was that. And then before dinner, we managed to get in a game which I love and you never hear much about. And there's this kind of idea that taking deck building and doing something different with it and building on it and having it as only part of your game. So Dominion, you're deck building and that's going to get you points. That's how you win. And that's been done to death. But doing deck building for something else. And I tell you what, there was a game around and we've talked about it, Rune Age, which did this years ago. And it's been expanded and it's got several scenarios in it and it's got co-op and it's got competitive and it's got an economy game in there on the scenarios and it is brilliant. And we sat down to play it on Friday evening. We did the Rise of the Dragon Lords. There's two different ways of playing that scenario now. We played the semi-co-op in which you're all playing against the game. If the game wins, you've all lost. However, there's also a case that you're playing against each other and there can only be one winner. We played it with the Elves, the Undead, the Dwarves and I was the Orcs. And there's a constant stream of dragons coming out, attacking our home realms, and we could attack each other's home realms. In typical London aboard fashion, no one won, because we all got too carried away with attacking each other, rather than actually trying to play to win the game. But it was very funny. The orcs I had, their major powers are all aimed towards attacking other people, basically. They, they wipe out units, and then they make units not worth anything. I love this game, Ronan. I, I do like me a bit of Rune Age. It took me a while to get it, and I think it probably took the expansion to sort of tip me towards the game again after playing it once and not really enjoying it. Definitely, if you have this, you've got to play with the expansion, in my opinion, and I think Ronan's as well. A thoroughly enjoyable game, and you're absolutely right, Ronan. It doesn't get the love that it should. No, it works in a three-level economy. There's three different interacting currencies within the game. Like I say, there's all those different scenarios. You can play it in several different ways. It's very interactive. It really is fun, and honestly, it needs more love. Okay, we went for dinner, and we came back again. And then we had our pre-planned game of Eldritch Horror, which took up the next three and a half hours, and it was hilarious. This was just brilliant. We played with Antarctica added on now, There'd been some wine flowing over dinner, so I can't actually remember who the ancient one was we were fighting. But we started off, and it didn't look very well for us. There was more booze flowing around the table. We had a new player amongst the four, and she was soon advised to get on the booze to get on board with this. how this game was going to go. And it started off tough. It took us half the game to clear the first Mythos card of four we had to actually do. It was a 20-turn game. The expansion adds more turns in. It seems to just take some of the rough edges off the game, whereby you're in too much of a rush sometimes. Previously, it adds more turns, but it adds more of a challenge, but it adds more of a considered challenge, I say. More of something you can work towards rather than you just can or you can't do this. It felt sometimes you get against Logic Horror and you just were like, well, this one we're never going to do. We're stuck with this Mythos card. We, we know we've lost already. It did feel hard, but we started kicking in 
I went through three different characters in this game. I was the only person to die at any point. So that might tell you about the level of my play. I was the African shaman to start with, and she had a fun time. She went around the Southern Hemisphere. She got an Aboriginal lover called Douglas, and then she uh, met some young men in South America, and she got an infection and some internal injury somehow, and she was close to death for a lot of the game. And I was basically trying to heal to get rid of my internal injuries and infection every turn, failing without fail. And then moving one step, and that was my go for the next few turns <laughs> until I managed to get up and I met Rachel, who gave me a sacrifice for the greater good card, which is awesome because my character was pretty much useless at that time. But I was able to activate this card, sacrifice her, and we basically got something that helped us complete that mythos card that was a problem and we got back into the game and it's things like that the expansion adds whereby you might be stuck in a rut but here's a way out here's another avenue which you can go down so the second character is the violinist who really she didn't last very long at all she met some burly men in the docks again in south america for some reason and she got some injuries and she didn't last long and then i took the musician as my third character because by that stage we had two mythos cards to go one of them was based in the antarctica and the other guys were trying to fight monsters so i took the musician to help me by the time i got him into play they had cleared the third mythos card and then it seemed quite clear we were set up to either do or not do the fourth mythos card so i spent the rest of the game in alabama singing what I thought were encouraging songs, but apparently I was told they were quite annoying, Sean. So, well done, Ronan. So you basically had two floozies that died. Yeah. And then an annoying musician. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. (laughs) That wouldn't get annoying after ten minutes. No, but the three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was brilliant. It's perfect. You know, a couple of days into a con, a bit of wind down over dinner, a kind of sit around a chat. There was lots of role playing going on. There was lots of ridiculous behavior. There was lots and lots of laughter. It was just the perfect game at the perfect time. And we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, you know my opinions on Eldritch Horror. I think it's a fantastic game. And one of the probably most unintentionally funny games I think there's out there. Every game I've ever had of it, I've been rolling around the floor laughing. Just ridiculous. And the, the number of times I was meeting just young men of some description or being attacked by dark young ones or meeting a sailor in the docks. It was, I didn't set off to role play in any direction, <laughs> but the game took me in a certain way and I just, I ran with it. Why not? Why not be a floozy sometimes? Okay. I finish off with a couple of party games to end the night and you can probably tell my state of ability while I was playing. I played coconuts three times. The game where you put a little rubber coconut into a monkey's hands and you try and flick it to get it into cups in the middle or on other people's boards. And you're supposed to only have eight goes apparently. There are cards you can play. No one was in any states about that. We were just flicking coconuts around, taking a turn, trying to build up a stack of six, and the first person to get to six won. That's how we played it. It's not the correct rules, but it was very funny. There was lots of ineptitude going on. There was lots of abusing each other, and it was great. And I finally finished off with a quick game of Times Up Title Recall. Twelve players, three teams of four. Everyone knew the game. Everyone had played before, and we had a fantastic time. Puria is the most incompetent Times Up player I've ever seen in my life. He completely incapacitated his very good team, which meant that my team won. Boom! I took that to bed. Fantastic. Puria and incompetent? No. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I did an impression of him before the first, first turn, which went, um... Um, mm, 
Uh, okay, okay, no. Um, mm, given that it's a timed game that we're playing, and I swear to God, that's exactly how his first turn went. And then the rest of his turn was ruined by everyone laughing so much at the fact he he basically copied exactly what I'd done. It was just, and again, it, it was that level of ridiculousness that was going on at that stage. Fantastic. So moving on to the Saturday, and my Saturday began with a much-anticipated game of Imperial Assault, a game I really, really wanted to play. It's Star Wars, and it's a dungeon crawler-esque type thing, right up my street. So we sat down, myself, Nathan, Lloyd, Natalie, and Chilla to play this game, and... Nathan's not going to be happy about this, but I've got to tell you He's all about... He's the best. He's a Sith Lord, is what he is. I've got to tell you all about <laughs> his magnificent efforts. Did you tell him he wasn't allowed to use the Force? Well, I think Lloyd might have told him. Because <laughs> it'd be unfair, because he seems that he was so on the ball. So, my misgivings at the beginning were that Nathan had played it 873 times or whatever, and would absolutely smash myself and Natalie who'd never played it. Although we did have Chiller and Lloyd who'd played it a few times. Lloyd assured me that Nathan was rubbish at the game, which I thought was, nah, it's just Lloyd being Lloyd. So, first troop deployment happens. A little bit of give and take. We've dispatched his first troops in a, in a fairly reasonably economic manner. And Lloyd and Chiller have plodded off into the next area of the map, where Nathan has then announced, oh, you've won, by the way. Much to us going, what are you talking about? How could we possibly have won after 20 minutes? Yeah. I didn't read through the whole scenario. So basically, to spawn any more troops, I have to have a troop alive, so I should have done it ages ago. Well done, Nathan. <laughs> at that point, we all agreed that Lloyd was indeed right. Nathan is rubbish at Imperial Assault. <laughs> so a massive taxi backsy ensued, and Nathan then got his troops that he should have had on the board, Imperial Guards and all sorts came into the game. And it actually was a, a very enjoyable scrap between all of us he picked on the poor Wookiee took the Wookiee out early and actually won the game if he hadn't have already lost it how did I feel about the game it's basically Descent with a Star Wars theme I own Descent I can't ever see myself owning this unless I get rid of Descent I think it probably doesn't work very well with two players I think the more players the better for this one and more than likely to play with two players. So, yeah, it was a nice game. I liked it. Nathan had some fantastic miniatures that he'd taken from other games and put in, and they were almost direct replicas of the of the ones that come with the game. So they were all painted, looked fantastic. The game looks brilliant. But although I was glad I played it, I'm not sure that I would ever buy the game, Ronan. Have you ever heard the game of this? I have not. And... I'm kind of a bit ambivalent about it. I would happily play it if I get a chance. So those Nathan's been running a campaign, and I'm part of the message group where he's saying, okay, we've got four players for such and such night, four players for such and such night, and I just haven't been around any of those nights. But then I haven't really broken my neck to gone out of the way to play it either, because it seems like it's 
just they tell me it's better than Descent 2.0. They tell me there's they've built on it a little bit. But for me, being one player amongst five, where you're kind of sitting and watching other people do things, where there's a lot of just sort of inching the advantage out of the various cards that are in play, I don't quite know how to put this. I'm not fast. I think I'd enjoy playing it. I'm not sure it's got anything new. I don't really feel like I'm missing out, if that makes any sense. There's, there's games you don't play and you think, oh, I'm missing out on that. I want to see what that's like. I almost feel like I know what this is like without ever having played it, which maybe that's unfair. No, I think you probably do know exactly what it's like because you've played Descent. I mean, it might be a tidied up version of Descent, but it's still basically Descent with pew-pew noises rather than cling-clang noises. The fact that I didn't go out and buy this immediately, which was my big fear, given especially that it's like £60, £70 in the UK, I think, yeah, good game, but not the great game that I think everyone pegs it up to be. But eh, a nice start to the day, and thank you, Nathan, for bringing it and and teaching us how to play and completely messing up your go. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, I then jumped straight into a game of Vikings, we have talked about this, we've reviewed it, it's the 2007 game from Z-Man, fantastic game, love it, really interesting bidding mechanism with the rotating wheel, makes the selection of tiles that go onto your tableau really interesting, you've got to think about what you're building, because if you just build randomly as I did, then you're going to come unstuck somewhere along the line. What the game has is, various different color vikings and they all perform different roles some of them will score you points some of them will get you money and some of them will defend you against attacking ships the one you've got to think about is the blue vikings and they're going to feed your troops right and what did i forget to build any of um green ones yeah that's right yeah i got loads of blue ones blue (laughs) blue vikings i had one i was leading the game and i think i finished third in the end well done me for not getting any blue to feed my guys at the end of the game. But it's a classic, Ronan, and I think we are both in agreement that it's a wonderful game. Wonderful game, Sean. Wonderful game, Ronan. Thoroughly enjoyed this game of it as well. I've, I've never played a bad game of it. That's what I'm saying. I heard about a bad game of it where someone got all load of yellow Vikings early and they took a massive lead and they could basically buy whatever they wanted. There you go. I heard about a bad game of it once. I've never played a bad game of it. It's really, it's great. Play Vikings, people. There's another game. Play. Yeah, I... I was actually a bit harsh on myself, apart from the lack of Blue Vikings. I actually played almost like a perfect game. I had point scoring engine and a money-making engine. Everything was tied up. I had the most completed islands at one stage. Everything was working out. And my opponent saw that and decided to just deny me the Blue Vikings, which was well played then. Yeah, really good game and lots of things to think about. Moving onwards, moved on to the... uh, Stefan Feld game, Aquasphere, that came out in last year's Essen. A game we have covered to death. We previewed it, we reviewed it, and we've talked a lot about this game. It's set underwater in a scientific research station. Not going to go into great depth, but you're collecting black crystals. The main resource for moving around is time. That's your basically your money in the game. It's a typical Feld Point salad, but point salad for a reason. Maybe not so much the octopods that just randomly attack the station, but we won't go on too much about that. I had a lovely game of it. I managed to win. I think it was the first game all weekend that I had one. I beat a noob on a tiebreaker. Everyone enjoyed this one, Ronan. I won't go on too much about it, because as I said, we've played it loads and talked about it loads. 
I feel like I'm a bit of a stuck record here. Actually, I haven't played it that often. I've played it ooh, three or four times, and not for a while. And I, this is the one game I have to say that probably I'm most jealous of you haven't played. Well, I wasn't there on Saturday. I was really wanted the game of Aquasphere. Just as with all these weekends, you have these plans. You need to be there for four months to play all the games you want to play. But that's when I definitely wanted to get out, and I definitely want to get my teeth back into again. I want to play again with you, especially. So I expect that's going to hit our table sometime soon again. Yeah, it's a great game, and it was probably the most thinky, head-scratchy game that I played all weekend. It was a real, like, oh, God. Because in the game, you've always got to plan one or two moves ahead. That's the whole point of it. Next, Ronan, I played a brand-new game that's only just come out that I kick-started and received not too long ago. It's Xenoshift, which has come out from Cool Mini or Not. It is a cooperative deck-building game. We will be reviewing this one in our next episode, so I'm not going to go into too much depth, but we had an interesting game, first game of it, with G, Rachel, myself, and Natalie again. And, yeah, I think G summed it all up by his comments afterwards, and he sat there, head in hands, and just (laughs) witted the words, I feel violated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he usually doesn't complain he, doesn't, he just sat there literally head in hands I feel violated yeah. we've summed it Rachel up Rachel had similar comments yeah we you randomised the deck and we ended up taking on this alien horde with booster jabs <laughs> we got no you didn't get listen you didn't get alien flu <laughs> we didn't get alien flu we were well protected we had no armor, we had no decent guns, we managed to get on to round five of nine before just getting completely wiped out. Initial impression, it's a very difficult game to win. Now, myself and Ronan are going to hopefully tackle this soon and have a real good go and see how difficult it actually is. But yeah, is there no shift, Ronan? My lips are sealed. Ooh. Oh yeah, pending, coming soon. I haven't played it yet. I am really, really, really excited to play it. I am going to play the life out of it over the next couple of weeks, and we will have a good dig into it, Sean. You know I like me a deck builder, you know I like me a co-op, you know I like me a challenge. Let's see if they've hit gold. Absolutely. Then, after being violated by Xenoshift, I will admit to being a little bit tired, and Ronan, maybe grumpy Sean, had his little face on. Oh, bless. No, his grumpy Sean needed his bed, and he was a little bit grumpy. Like a sulky mountain. <laughs> and we played a game that Terry, once again, very graciously taught us called Hospital Rush from Pegasus Spiel. Oh, God. The cards are hilarious, Sean. Hilarious. See, this is what G said. He talked, well, to be fair, I said, let's play something that looks fun and light. And Hospital Rush just screams fun and light. It's not actually that fun and light. But anyway, <laughs> the hilarious, hilarious cards that most of them you're just like, who's that supposed to be? I don't know. Maybe it's a German person. Anyway, moving on. It's a worker placement game that's set in a hospital and you are curing patients, but you're all a little bit naughty. And you've all got things that you can do that are a little bit underhand. You've got your own cards, your own characters, and they can do individual powers. As I said, the caveat to this is that I was grumpy. I was tired, but I didn't enjoy this one at all, Ron. And this was, for me, the low light of the whole weekend. I got back from my wedding in the early hours, walked into the room, 
the five of you were sitting around the table playing it, and I sat down and I said, oh, hey, how's it how's going? And it was just a dead atmosphere. There was just, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? How are you guys? <laughs> uh, what are you playing? I, no, I'm not sure. I will give this game another go, because I want to see, just for my own peace of mind and clarity, is it as bad as it appeared to be? Or was it just the tiredness? But I will say that this game just didn't seem to have any real options. The powers on the individual cards were wildly differently powered. Some of them just seemed so much more powerful than others. And the nastiness in the game was just nastiness for the sake of nastiness. It didn't seem to have any point to it. There wasn't a lot that you could do on your turn. You only had two actions per turn and not really a lot of options of where to go to. You had to do certain things. Yeah, I really just didn't enjoy this one at all. And Yeah, they show me those comedy cards. So they're supposed to be personalities with some kind of crazy pun in there. So there's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Severus Scrapes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the novelty's gone again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lulu Vogel. G thought they were hilarious. God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a lovely lad. <laughs> anyway, Hospital Rush, don't play it. <laughs> and that was me, off to bed to get much needed Shawnee sleepy time. So that brings us on to Sunday. And on Sunday, first thing, I got another Eastbourne tradition in, followed by a second one. First one is Games of Theseus. Theseus is from Portal Games, and it's the competitive Mancala game set in a space station with special powers with different factions who have different cards they can put into play. We played two three-player games. Now, the factions for both games were the Marines, the Bots from the expansion, and the Greys. And it was myself and Lloyd who played before names the game, and Soren, who was a new player. If Soren's first game had been my first game to it, I may have written this game off, because it just didn't go well. Everyone starts with one card in play and two cards pending in the basic setup, and the first game was a complete blowout. We seemed to get in a pattern whereby we were following each other around all the time, around the Mancala and the space station with our three units, and just taking each other's cards out of place. You couldn't lay traps, you couldn't get weapons into play, you couldn't get your special powers going, and it was really bogged down, and it was a crawl, it took a while, and it just didn't quite work for some reason. We swapped factions, we played with the same guys again. Now, that made me think about doing the advanced setup. In the advanced setup, you have three cards start in play, so everyone's ready to go. You, you could see immediately what everyone's trying to do, and you can react to it. I think that is best when players know the game. But we went for the base setup again, and this one worked much, much better. There were lots of sort of funny setups of powers where you're stitching people up and you're making an area completely inhospitable to them. In the game, you can choose which of your units to move, but you can't choose how far they move, because they move as far as the total number of units in the area of the space station they're in. That's where the Mancala comes in. So if I'm there with two other units, I must move that unit three times clockwise. There's, there's no choice. But which of those three units I move is my choice. Right. It really worked the second time around. And I'm glad we played it a second time because it really showed the game off. You have to be aware of what each other is doing. You have to be aware of what the cards do. Then they're, they're not difficult. It's not like a case of having to know every card in the game. You just read the cards that comes into play and go, okay, I know what that does. Avoid it. It's going to hit me. When you're playing three players, it's a race to 20 points. And this game was almost half the time of the first game. I messed up going for a big points grab and didn't realise I'd set Soren up so that he couldn't go anywhere other than into Lloyd's trap. And Lloyd won. 
like I say, I'm really glad we played it a second time because it, it is a little bit of an Eastbourne tradition to play this game. And if I'd only had one rubbish game of it, I'd have been upset. But the second game confirmed to me it is an excellent game and another underrated and not well enough known game. Yes, it never appealed to me in the essence that we went to when you picked this one up, Ronan. I still haven't had a game of it, and it still just doesn't appeal to me. I'm not sure if it is the, the Mancala side of it, or planning ahead, or the fact that it's this circular board. I don't know what it is. I just can't put my finger on it, but I'm just not that interested in it. I think I said last time we discussed it, I was going to force you to play it, and I haven't forced you to play it yet. I'm going to force you to play it. It really, it's, <laughs> it's really designed as a two-player game as well. I think two-player is quite calculable. So I'm not sure that I love it two-player, but three-player I really enjoy it. Four-player doesn't work, you have to go to teams. But I honestly think you'd really enjoy the game. I don't understand why you don't like it. It's got that kind of setting things up. It's got the different factions with the different powers. It's thematic. I don't know what's what's not grabbing you with it. Because obviously it's not grabbing lots of people because it's just not getting big exposure. You know what it was? I think when it was first touted before Essen, I thought it was something completely different. I think I thought in my mind before I read the rules and saw all the blurb and the intro, and it came with a big sort of exciting video with thematic, dramatic music. I think I thought it was some sort of sci-fi skirmish game or dungeon crawler or something with miniatures, basically. And it didn't turn out to be that. So maybe I've been a bit unfair because I was just disappointed at what the type of game it was. But yeah, I suppose I will let you twist my arm and we will have a game of it and I shall judge it fairly. And you should fall in love with it, because it's a great game. Next Eastbourne tradition we played on the Sunday at noon was Team Seven Wonders. I really like Seven Wonders itself. I tell you what, Team Seven Wonders takes it to a whole new level. It is fantastic. We played eight players Seven Wonders, four teams of two. You score your own points, and at the end of the game, you add together the points both players, and that's your team score and the most wins, basically. So you have to have two strong players if you're, for example, Terry and Nathan. Terry won overall. Nathan lost overall, so they didn't win. Nathan, it wasn't a good weekend, was it? Myself and Lloyd were the team. When the cards come in left to right, if I'm the left-hand player, I look at them and Lloyd can look at them, and we can choose one for me to draft and then one for him to draft in the next round. And the other way around, when they come in right to left or clockwise, Lloyd can look at both and we can make plans together. And not only that, but we can draft symbiotically. We can take different resources to each other or the same resources we can set each other up to do our wonders i went for a heavy science which i rarely do but worked really really well lloyd went for he had lots of gold cards he was trading very well he went big money because you have to play with cities we're playing with leaders as well he took leaders to go for a money strategy and score points for money at the end and he followed it through which meant i was taking more resources it just worked perfectly it's such a good way to play the game yes it slows it down a little bit because when you're drafting for some reason having it that each player of each pair tends to take a different strategy and because the strategy tends to be a bit clearer and purer when you can draft twice each way round, and you can get more control of what you're getting it's almost easier to see what each player is trying to do and then if the negative drafting then becomes more important because i can look and go oh this member of this pair looks like they're doing this. That member of the pair looks like she's doing that. And we can discuss that and go, oh, look, they want that. They want that. Let's bury this. Let's take this. Let's not let that get around. Oh, no, I think they'll draft it out before it gets around there. It's more strategic and it's clearer what everyone else is doing. And it just takes Seven Wonders up another level and it is brilliant. And playing with Lloyd is looking into the mind of darkness, but we won. So I'll accept selling my soul for that victory. Yeah, how could you? This is probably the most jealous that I was 
during the weekend of the games that you played, Ronan. I love Seven Wonders anyway. It's a fantastic game. And it just looks so much fun and so interesting with that team variant. Lots more to think about. Not only are you being negative and trying to stop other people getting certain cards, you're also trying to set up your own partner for things. Yeah, really interesting. And I think we've got to stop bashing Nathan at some stage. <laughs> no, there's no need. But yeah, Team Seven Wonders, if you get a chance to play it, play it. Really fantastic. Okay, the next game we played is going to come up. Sean's going to chat about it because it's the only game we played together all weekend. So I'll leave him to discuss it. And then after that, it was getting on towards the evening on Sunday. Things were getting a bit boozier. Again, there's a theme to my weekend. And we played Elysium, a fairly new game. It's themed around you're making sacrifices to the Greek gods and trying to create these legends. It's basically a set collection game. You're trying to collect sets of colours or sets of numbers from cards which come in the middle. You're doing a draft. When you draft a card, you must pay for it by using a column. You start with columns of four different colours. You must hold the columns of certain colours to be able to take certain cards from the middle. It's a random draw each turn and you also must take these quests which give you an incoming gold and give you the ability to... The cards that you bring into play, they go above your board. They are in your something or other and you draft them you must kill them basically and put them down into your Elysium into your legends to score points at the end of the game cards have different powers different abilities they chain together different colours work together and what have you it's an interesting game I've played it a couple of times now I enjoy it I think it's nice it's fairly quick paced there's lots of variety in the game it comes with eight different gods you only use five at a certain time and you're probably not going to see all the cards anyway when you're playing it's good in that it's a puzzle that's changing all the time it's quite tactical you don't know what cards are going to come out you can try and set up certain combos but whether you do or you don't it just depends upon the card draw going first in the turn is very important but it means you get less of an income and you're generally able to kill fewer cards which means it affects your end game score but you can draft better which is a nice balance I think it shines best when everyone's watching each other and you know how important each card is to each other player and you can kind of predict what colour columns they're going to keep hold of because of what cards they're going to go after and you can try and stitch each other up and try and leave players with no option but to take a rubbish card you can take a card from the uh, basic card face down called a citizen if you can't draft anything good you can race for bonuses the first person to get different sets or they're called legends together in different colours or different numbers gets a bonus so you can watch what other people are doing that try and block them from doing it and get ahead of them and get the bonus there's interesting tactical interactive manoeuvring going on all the time I think that we were possibly a bit too Eastbourneed out to get the full sort of flow of things and the edge, but it was still fun. There was lots of chat going on. I think everyone enjoyed it, but I think everyone agreed we'd like to play it in more optimal conditions when we're a bit more on the ball and really explore and see how much there is there because it is purely tactical. So it's hard to make a decision after a couple of plays whether there's meat to it or it's just constantly changing too much. It's another game that I really want to play. I think we nearly had a game of this a couple of times over the weekend. Uh, it's high on my to-do list. Looks lovely. But the question I've got for you, Ron, is when you first played this, you were almost, because you, you did buy it, but you were almost surprised at how much you liked it because it had got a little bit of negative press. What were the negative things that people were saying about it? First, it's completely themeless. All right, there are pictures of gods. Yes, the sets of cards are themed. So Hades, for example, will generally give you more options to kill people and get them down to your legends. Poseidon is quite destructive. He attacks other players. Athena will score you extra points for doing things. It's just quite nicey-nicey. The fact, I guess, that I can remember the names of certain sets of cards, okay. But in terms of who I am and what I'm doing and what the narrative of the game is, it's non-existent. 
I don't know who I am. I don't know what these columns are. These quests that get your incoming gold and points and, and the ability to kill cards, they're not quests. You just It's something you pick up if you've got the right colour column. The way the mechanisms link into the story of the game are completely just... No. The drafting doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The setting up of these legends makes no sense whatsoever. So I think that's part of it in that it's got great artwork. It was presented as this sort of epic god powers and what have you, and they're just not there. That's part of it. The second thing is, people on the board after the first place said they felt the game played them. They had very few choices. I don't agree with that. I do think that you can go in a certain direction and then get screwed by card draw, and you might be waiting for that Poseidon three card to come out, and it never comes out. Or you might be trying to do a certain combo in which you're able to kill a lot of cards with your Hades cards, and then you're just not able to take them. The one criticism is it's a bit too lucky, but it plays quite quickly. And it's not like you're ever stuck in a strategy. And I think that's the one bit I've got to decide. But it's the thematic and the game plays you were the two criticisms I heard. And I, I enjoy it more certainly than other people have who've played it around me. And the players I've played with have all enjoyed it and asked for it again. Lovely. I'll, I look forward to my first go. Yeah, maybe that's one we can uh, review later on. There you go. So I moved on. And actually, I was really happy to get this opportunity. I got to play Shadowrun Crossfire which is a deck-building sort of uh, very, very light RPG from the Shadowrun universe in which you're a bunch of ne'er-do-wells and you've gone on some mission and you're trying to get out of that mission and, and other thugs and stuff are attacking you. You play one of four roles. There are four different colour cards in the game. There's red, black, blue and green, which are face, street samurai, decker and mage. You set up with a slight difference in your start deck and then generally you're going to try and buy cards which suit your role. Or if your name's Daniel that don't suit your role, you decide that you're not going to be a street samurai, you're going to be a mage because you couldn't get any weapons. But we played the basic scenario in which you're trying to get through three scenes and get away scot-free and not die over those three scenes. And what was great was I was playing it with other experienced players. Full-on had played once or twice before, but the other guys had played it a fair bit, Joaquin and Daniel, and I played it a fair bit as well. So that was really cool. There was no explanation. We were just getting on. As cards were coming out, as the cards were coming into the market, which we could purchase from our kills, everyone knew what they kind of did to a certain degree and how we'd combo together. It was nice to be able to sit down and play a game like that, which you do need to do a bit of learning, a bit of learning the deck into, and everyone knew it quite well. We didn't win. I think we just started off slowly. We got better, as it tends to do in that game. We got good too late in the game and we were getting hit too much and we got wiped out on the third run it wasn't even very close on that third run to be honest the third scene the only thing i say about the game is well there's two problems i have with it one is and, and firstly i really enjoyed the game so playing the game itself is a lot of fun these are two secondary issues to it the first one is the experience system is called the karma system you can buy upgrades to your characters and you put stickers on your character sheet and you get better and better it's far, far, far too slow. Just to sort of survive a mission, I think you earn one karma. And decent upgrades are costing sort of 35. So I can play 35 times before I can buy a decent upgrade. All right, there are cheaper ones, but you get where I'm going. 15 is going to be the cheapest one for your second up. 15 times to play to get one little upgrade, which might give me one more money to spend in the game or one tiny little advantage. It's far too slow. That karma system is broken fix it. Either put stickers on your characters, give yourself more karma, whatever you need to do, but don't follow that karma system. And secondly, it's publisher support. They could have been much more creative with the missions they gave you in the game. They can be much more creative now with the missions they give you, and they just haven't been. There are fan-create missions which are more creative. I think there's more to do with the system, and I just feel like they haven't supported it enough. The first proper expansion is due out soon. 
I hope they do something interesting with it because when a publisher doesn't love its game, especially when it's a game like this, which has got lots of variety in cards and it's in a, a swamped marketplace because it's going up against the stuff like the LCGs and the Pathfinder adventure card game and all that, you need to have faith in it. You need to show the world you've got faith in it. You've got to push it to get it to be a winner and they're not pushing it and they're not supporting it enough. I'm not a fan of this game. I've played it with Ronan and it just didn't sing to me at all. My first issue with this game, Ronan, is that there's this whole Shadowrun world out there and it's probably more realised than this game gives it credit. And that's my issue. I didn't feel like I was in the world. It felt really tacked on, superficial. I didn't feel like I was that character. The only one that acts thematically, as far as I can see, really is the mage. So, yeah, I didn't immerse myself in this world, this Shadowrun world. I will yeah, agree with Ronan. This uh, experience system that they've got, you know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't feel like I'm progressing. Too little, too rarely. I'm upgrading. It's, so. it's the worst bit of... MMOs, right? It's just a grind. You just grind and the same mission. You only get three or four missions in the yeah, base. Just grinding the same mission. I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I don't feel like I'm improving. I, I'm not getting cool things to add permanently into my character's equipment or, or their abilities. Yeah, I didn't like that bit. And also, I didn't really get the co-op thing. I, th- I felt everything was quite prescriptive. I thought you kind of had to do most of your actions. Now, maybe that's just me. Obviously, I've got an issue with Sentinels of the Multiverse for a similar reason, and everyone seems to love that. So maybe... Take it easy. Come in later. Come in later. I know, I know. Yeah, I just didn't get this game at all. I didn't immerse myself in it. I didn't really feel like I was playing thematically or cooperatively, and I hate the upgrade system. So not something I'm looking to play in the future. So do you like it or not? Yeah, I love it. absolutely love it. It's my favourite game of the year. Shadowrun Crossfire, (laughs) right. And I... Finished off, unusually, I'm not a big playtester or prototype player, but Chris Marling, who's been on the show, designer of the Empire Engine, has got a game in development. It's looking quite promising that it will hit game store shelves at some point. Who knows when, but it's on its way. It's a two-player, quick-filler card player. Something along the lines of you're a couple of wizards and you're just playing cards to attack each other and it's the first person to do 25 damage, the other person wins. Don't think anything complicated like Major Wars or anything like that. Much, much, much simpler, much quicker, quick, funny cards. There's different sets of, of decks which have different themes to them, magic and sci-fi and samurai and different things. And you play with three of the sets. You max, This is what it is at the moment. You mash them together. You draw a card. You can choose to keep that card or give it to your opponent. And then you draw another card. And then you can look at the third card for the cost of a cube. And you can only have three cards each in play once as a weapon, an armor, and an other miscellaneous card at the end of your turn you attack you roll a dice to boost your attack it's a one of those dice that does zero one two or three damage you're just trying to hit each other and that's all it is and all the play in the game is in the variety in the cards how funny the cards are playing a rubbish card on each other and most importantly and this is what full-on was who i was playing with full-on thought it should be called ooh a lightsaber because that's not trademark infringing because that's the best card in the game when you got that you did legitimately go ooh a lightsaber we played it a whole bunch of fans of it with all different cards in and then we sat around imbibing in some adult beverages and just discussing various cards and gameplay and stuff and basically finishing off the Sunday night in a nice mostly relaxed manner in the hotel trying to chill out and do you know, the fact that we played it several times, I think, says as much as you need to know about any prototype. I'll play it once to be polite. 
when I'm playing it seven or eight times, it's because it's got something there. So I'm looking forward to see. Chris is still developing it, making more cards, showing it off to people. Like I say, it's looking promising for getting it published, so hopefully it will. And if it does get published, we'll mention it again then. But just to say, I did enjoy it. Brilliant, yeah, I didn't get a chance to, to play it. Chris obviously hates me and thinks I'm a complete buffoon. He did say that. He, he was yeah. going to call it I Hate Sean, but he thought that was a bit too obvious. No, no, I like, I like the title, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, like so. <laughs> it's got support. It's populist. <laughs> okay, my Sunday was quite short-lived because we had to depart fairly early on the Sunday to go and pick up our little boy. And I kicked off with a game that we talked about, I think, just over a year ago in one of our Treasure Hunt episodes, and that is Northwind. Ronan, after hearing how much I was excited about it, very kindly and went way beyond the Call of Duty and tracked down a German copy of the game and gave it to me for my birthday. And it's taken me over a year to play it. That's how grateful I am. That's grateful. That is grateful. Um, I am a gentleman. So, Northwind. It's designed by Klaus Turber, the uh, very famous designer of the uh, very famous Settlers of Catan. Or Catan, it's just Catan nowadays. Catan now, yeah. Yep. Get with it. <laughs> okay, the main thing about this game is it comes with 3D cardboard ships. They look absolutely amazing, and they act Ooh. as your woo, and they act as your player boards. And you are, I don't know, captains of a trader ship, and you are seeking to get goods and deliver to three separate harbours in the game. Each harbour is represented by a stack of tiles. Each tile has on it a possibility of getting money, getting goods, and then you've got to deliver back to the harbour that wants those goods. Every time you do an action that delivers something to a harbour, you get one of your cubes on the board, and the first person to use up all their cubes is the winner. It's as simple as that. I'll start off with the looks of the game. This was the prettiest game of the whole weekend by far. And everybody that came into the basement games room did a double take, came over, asked what the game was, picked up our game boards, uh, I'm using that please, and started having a look at them like, oh my god, that's beautiful. So yeah, absolutely stunning game. Now the game boards, actually somebody brought up uh, in a question in one of our Board Game Geek guilds, was that kind of similar to Colt Express in with the 3D representation of the game's playing area. And Colt Express was actually quite fiddly because the space to get your meeples in was quite fiddly and people were knocking them over. And they asked, was it actually functional? And it really is. It is completely functional. There's no problems. You just drop your produce or your pirate captains that you've kidnapped into little slots in the boat. You raise the sail and lift it up a notch for how quickly your boat can cycle through the tiles and your crew all just sitting again, slots at the back and there's even a crow's nest and the guy just sits in the top. Fantastic. Completely functional. Didn't hinder the game at all. The game itself, very, very, very light. Not a lot to it. You're literally just going through these tiles, finding the ones you want. If it happens to be pirate tile, you roll a dice, see if you fight pirates. If you win, you carry on. If you don't, you stop. That's about as much as it is. But it's not completely mindless. There was a little bit of thought to, to what you were doing, what 
crew to get who were giving you little bonuses, trying to remember where various goods were, trying to get ahead of each other in, in the pecking order because it becomes progressively harder to fulfill what the ports require. So a little bit to think about, not a lot at all, but the four of us who played it, we thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I really, I'm so glad you bought me this game, Ronan. I'd have it just for the boats alone. And to find that there's actually a half decent game behind it was a nice little surprise. So I, I was well chuffed with this one. I feel like you just summarized your review style. <laughs> I love it for the boats. I'll take the half decent game with it. <laughs> you won't get an argument here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sean, is this a gateway game for people who are going to become proper gamers, or is it purely a casual game for people who don't want to dip their toes any further? Ooh, interesting question. I think a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I know I'm still. No, I'm not. No, 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 no sense fit. No, no sense fit. No sense. No fence. <laughs> There's no sense fitting into this podcast. Well, there never has been, and we, we stand by our morals on that one. <laughs> oh, pretty. Is there anything to it? There is, is yeah, there is. There is. It's not completely mindless. There's a no, new... but is it just casual? I mean, is there anything that no, it is, it is. Would, would tickle a gamer to go, oh, you know, I'll think about this, think about that, I want to explore some space? We played with somebody who is actually a big Euro gamer, Gwen, and she really likes her thinky Euro games. And she went away happy that she played it and actually hoping to play it again sometime. So from that perspective... She's possibly also the most polite person in life. She is, true. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, okay. she didn't punch you in the face, doesn't um, mean much. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to sense fit. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can't, I can't. I can't give you an answer. It's completely down to the person. I think there's a little bit in there for gamers, but I could also quite easily seen this game just sitting on someone who never plays games and just for the pretty right sense fit some more next game next game was possibly well definitely the most fun i had all weekend it was a hilarious game of the ever popular classic pillars of the earth with expansion ronan yeah it was <laughs> sean have you got the expansion yet well, the one that will cost me £200, no. <laughs> uh, Sean's got a little bit of an issue with the fact that I have the expansion to Pillars of the Earth. He doesn't. I just picked it up for 20 quid one day in the shop. It was there, and it turns out it's absolutely impossible to get hold of. Yeah, well, the background story is basically Cosmos and Mayfair did this as a joint project. Cosmos no longer want to do it. Mayfair can't do it because they don't have sole rights. Fantastic. So they're not going to reprint Pillars of the Earth and they're certainly not going to reprint the expansion, which is highly upsetting because I really want the expansion. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we have talked about Pillars of the Earth. It made it into one of our Vault episodes. Didn't quite make it into the Vault itself, but definitely an honorary mention. It's a worker placement with a nice little turn mechanism. I'm not going to go into massive detail, but Ronan, we had a lot of fun with this it's an older game as ronan said when he was explaining the game it came out when worker placement was quite new to not new in terms of worker placement but it wasn't as popular as it is now and i think it's stood the test of time really well there's a lot to think about it is driven by purely an economic game but i think there's a lot to think about a lot of variation there's different cards that come out the expansion just drives that even further and I think we all had a thoroughly good time. Some of that may have been down to full-on completely losing the plot. But, yeah, Ronan, what do you think? 
First of all, he was several gallons of beer into the weekend at that stage. What it was, was one of the first games to take worker placement and put more on it. It's like Yido's grandfather. That's what I feel like. It's not just worker placement in there. There's resource conversion. There's drafting going on. There are special powers. It is a very good game. If you've never played it, if you're kind of new to the hobby or whatever, it's well worth giving a go, as is its kind of cousin-in-arms world without end, which is a different type of game. But the expansion certainly deals with some of the game issues in terms of luck of the draw, because workers are placed from a draw from a bag, and early workers cost more to place, later ones cost less, and the expansion mitigates some of that. It's a really good game. It's absolutely rock-solid. I think it's been surpassed slightly by the likes of Dominant Species and Yido, but it is still well up there. It's going to be in my top 100 games for sure, if ever I did one. And I'm really glad we got to play it and enjoy it. And we all did have a good time, even though it was probably slightly slower than Sean wanted it to be, because there was a bit too much banter and nonsense going on. Yeah, normally I would be right alongside the banter and there'd be beatboxing and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> There was a little bit of beatboxing. There was a little bit of beatboxing, but uh, yeah, I had to get away because I had a little man, or sorry, a big man to pick up from these grandparents. But uh, yeah, I really, really love this game. It's, it's one of my favourites. It was my choice for the vault and I stand by that. I think it's a fantastic game and in good company, it only just makes it all the better and that's what we had so yeah thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable game and i won so yay (laughs) i think we ronan came second so we decided that the game pit had dominated that's right there was a bit of flexing going on (laughs) as embarrassing as that was (laughs) that was you done right that was me done that was me off home tears in my eyes with fond memories lovely you've got the heart of a poet so that just leaves me on monday and i just got three games in monday i was helping to clear up and make sure everything was done and dusted monday morning before we left i got a quick game of looney quest in on world three it's the drawing game where each round there's a different objective you must do whether draw a line from here to there on your own private board or draw hoops around things or put dots to hit things and not other things there are penalties if your line goes across certain wherever they might be on the board and everyone draws in their own bit of persplex you then pull it onto the board and you see how well your line or dots or hoops match up to what you're trying to do on the board and score points we talked about Doodle Quest before on the show, and we talked about Looney Quest before on the show. Apparently, the same idea was sold to two different publishers, and they took it in two different directions, which is why you've got the, the easier, more basic family game of Doodle Quest and Looney Quest, which adds a bit more to it and a bit more bells and whistles. I'm actually torn over which one I prefer. I really like the simplicity of Doodle Quest. It's quick, it's simple, there's slightly different challenges to it, there's slightly more, now I say artistic with, on under advisement simple artistic challenges to it where you're trying to draw fish and things and, and draw lines within certain shapes whereas Looney Quest is all based around a computer game theme and you've definitely got a direct direction in which you're trying to go I'm very intrigued by someone's idea for a Lazy Susan variant whereby because the board is in the middle and what you do is you take 90 degrees each turn to try and mitigate any table position advantage stick it on a lazy susan and spin it and then get everyone drawing that i think will be funny and i'd like to play like that but we had a great time it's a great little filler it's a fantastic idea more pictures for doodle quest more maps for looney quest keep them coming ton of fun really great idea and i really enjoyed looney quest yeah looking forward to finally giving this one a go soon ronan definitely one i probably want to add to my son's future collection which is really my collection in disguise Uh, a little trick i learned from the master over there 
I don't know what you mean. <laughs> they play all of those games. They're theirs. They like you. Don't. Okay. So on the way home, I've got a couple more games in. First one had a very unpromising start. It was Democracy Majority Rules. This is a Kickstarter game. And now I know really nothing about it other than hearsay. It's designed by Mark Ryan Hagen. It's from Make Believe Games, which is kind of funny they're called Make Believe Games because I think it was Kickstarter in 2013 and copies are still only just coming out. I'm not sure whether everyone's got their copy or not, but there is some kind of controversy with regards to this game actually getting made. And it turns out full-on won a copy in the Board Game Geek competition, and it took something like a year and a half, two years for him to actually get his copy sent through to him. So this is the game he had. He wanted to play it. No one had read the rules. Obviously, no one had played it before because it's only just been produced, even though it's got a 2013 publishing date. And we were all a bit worse for wear. But, you know... We all played 70 games, no one really minded. So four of us sat down to give it a go. It's about running the US government, pretty much. You are some kind of political brokers, and you all get a political leaning. You might be for change or conservatism or whatever else they might be called. And then there are seven roles within the game, and you're vying over who gets to take these roles. There's justice, bureaucracy, money, media, voters, activists, and lawmakers. And they all have different roles to play within the game, so... Justice breaks ties and bureaucracy decides what order things are done in and the voters get to help choose the president and the activists can move supporters around and the lawmakers get to decide on most of the laws that go up for voting. And you're taking control of those roles by using cubes. You can place cubes into two different areas of game on a secret selection. So you you have an incoming cube depending on what roles you have. You put them in your hand over two cards which are face down. You then flip the cards over, show the cubes you've got in your hand for those particular cards. They go into play, so no one knows where your cubes are going. And then you can move some around. And you're trying to get sets of cubes onto these different roles in the majority. And if you have the complete majority, then that's great, you take that role. But more often than not, there's going to be six of someone's, five of someone else's, three of someone else's, and four of someone else's. And then you're going to negotiate. And this is all about a table talk negotiation game. And you're going to decide amongst you which one of you gets to take that role and its benefits for the turn and its income for the next turn in supporter cubes, which you're going to be able to put out again. And also in, I can't remember what it's called, we were calling them votes because you're going to vote on laws. And it's all about backwards, forwards. If I let you be justice here, will you let me be lawmakers? If I let you do this, let's form this. And it's all about shifting different bargains, negotiations, and coalitions. You then have laws which come up, the lawmakers choose them, there's a president who's voted in, he gets to choose one of the laws to come in, and you vote on these laws, and they have pluses or minuses, depending upon your political leanings or which role you are at the time, and they take and remove cubes off the board, which will put you in a stronger or weaker position going forward. There also, there are disruptive cards, which will too many of them get voted in. You basically burn the whole game. Everyone's points die before the end. It's, you haven't create, kept control of the government. So you have to work together to some degree, although people who are losing will want to vote in the ones which burn everyone's points. You're going to do this for five rounds, forming these factions and majorities, and then you're going to score points for cards, laws which have been voted in which supported your faction, either political or the role you supported at the time. You're going to get points for roles you have, points for area majority those cubes which you form coalitions with at the end of the game whoever's got most cubes in each of seven areas is going to score points for those areas and while i'm describing that very mechanically i actually found whatever the problems are with this game it's got a number of number one ratings because of problems with the kickstarter on bgg i actually found it to be in my opinion a good 
reproduction of the sort of negotiations you'd need in order to run a government. What do I know about running a government? But that's the way I see it anyway, in that you're having to ally with certain people, go against certain other people. You can't go too far in one direction or the other direction because you're always going to need someone else. If you just try and go off by yourself, the power of the other players around the board will crush you. You must work with them to some degree, but always trying to get the edge. And that's what it's all about. You can't be too bitchy. You can't take things personally because someone goes against you here. The very next action in the game might be you're trying to form a coalition with that person again on a different issue. The voting system is quite interesting in that you have to choose whether you vote yes or no for laws and then you vote as teams backwards and forwards. And you might be on the same team as someone, but if person whose bureaucracy decides that you have to vote first or they have to vote first you can see whether they're actually going to support you or not support you and even within the team that which is only temporary for this one vote it then creates tension well i need you to vote one well i'm not going to but then i'm not going to spend all of mine well then we're going to lose and it becomes chat chat like that of brinksmanship between each other when you're supposed to be allies interesting again i liked it from what i thought might be a disaster with no one knowing the rules and a bad campaign it went really well the fact that I scored probably double the next person's points always helped. I always like a game that I win. It is all about table chat, so I'm not sure I can ever play it with that same group of people again because they'll never trust me again. But in terms of what it sets out to do, I think it does it well. That's democracy, majority rules. Sean? Ronan, I warned you I was on a rocking chair. So with that and you talking on and on about a political game, I fell asleep. It had shiny things. There were oh, nice really? <laughs> yeah. Legitimately, it did have good, clear colours, and you could see what everything was, and all the components were. It looks moderately interesting. I wouldn't mind giving it a go. It's not high on my to-do list, but yeah, we'll, give it, we'll see if it comes my way. Yeah, if it comes your way, give it a go. I actually think it's a solid game after one play. And the last game I played for the weekend was one of my favourites. Sean is going to fall asleep again. Sentinels of the Multiverse. We had an amazing, very long game of it. We played against Citizen Dawn in the Wagner Mars base. It was Wraith, Tempest, Ra and the Bunker. And we went down to the lowest of the low. There was huge Citizen combos coming out from Citizen Dawn. Between Citizen Dawn and the environment, we kept on getting all our equipment and ongoing guards wiped out. We had the self-destruct countdown come out twice before we were very far into the game. We were having to skip turns just to keep the base alive. Citizen Dawn then flipped when we take a few of our citizens out, which means she was untouchable. She was on full health on 80 hit points, and the four heroes were on 3-3, 2-2. We were in so much trouble, we said, let's just keep going. It's all over. There's no chance here. Let's just see this out. There's lots of citizens in play. We can't hit her. You know, it's all over. Well, you, I imagine you can probably guess where this is going. We wiped out those citizens. We got going again. We started chipping away. Bunker took heavy plating and his repair unit, so he was always taking the damage for the, the most hit points, and he kept on reducing his heavy plating. Got his Gatling gun out so that he was hitting just two damage every turn. Tempest went down. He died, but he could use, let another hero use another power, or he's making us immune to energy damage, and there's a lot of energy damage coming out. Fnatic then did her... It wasn't Raj playing, it was Fnatic, sorry. Fnatic did her huge damage, when she was right down at two hit points left, and then she died, and then she then had to keep on skipping turns in order because meteor storms were coming in, which prevents them from being damaged, and the self-destruct within the base kept on going, so she had to keep on skipping turns, so the whole base didn't blow up, we didn't all lose... 
We were chipping away at Citizen Dawn. We got Wraith built up with her equipment so she could use two powers. She was searching the top two cards of the villain deck so she could maintain it so there weren't too many citizens coming into play. So Citizen Dawn could bring citizens out of the trash, but there were none in the trash because we'd been playing for so long, her trash had been shuffled back in again. And then Wraith was manipulating that situation. Bunker finally got a gun out. Then Red Dust came out and it went blew into all the equipment and took all our equipment out. Everything we'd set up. We lost hope again. We had to start again. Wraith was on two hit points. Bunker was on four. We were about to get killed. We knew it was over. And then Meteor Storm came out again, which meant no one could do any damage. Wraith skipped her turn to get rid of the Meteor Storm. The Self-Destruct Countdown was on the last turn. It was going to blow up again. And then Tempest was able to use his powers to let Wraith have another go. She did the killer blow on Citizen Dawn just before the base blew up and we all died. And it was epic. It was very, very long and hilarious. And there was proper jumping around and hugging when we won. And it was Sentinels of the Multiverse at its very best. So, Runner, can we just recap? How long did you play that game of Sentinel for? Um, it was something like three hours. Three hours. Of awesome. Of a roller coaster of amazing, incredible, awesome. Uh, sounds like a roller coaster of pain, boredom, and monotony. Haters gonna hate, man. Haters gonna hate, <laughs> hate, hate, hate. I'm really happy for you. That's all I can say on that one. It was just, it was so amazing. I had to go over it. It was just awesome, fantastic, perfect way to finish a perfect weekend of gaming. I'd never have guessed, because given that you spoke about it like a two-year-old that just been to see his first film, and then this happened, and then that happened, you were fantastic. I was happy for you. Yeah, don't be <laughs> Anyway, there is one game that was played for the majority of the weekend, and we haven't discussed it yet. And I think we have to crown it as the massive hit of Lobster 9, the game I saw being played most often, the most talked about game, the game where I saw one table sit down and play it six times in a row. On the first day, another table sat down and played it four times in a row. And it's not that quick a game. And Sean, we've talked about it before on the show. It is a huge hit for me from last year. And it's Quartermaster General. Yeah, well, Ronan, in terms of it being played, it certainly was the hit of the weekend. It was just absolutely everywhere. I think there was three copies down at Eastbourne, and they were in constant use almost. You couldn't do a 360 turn of a room without seeing it being played at least once. For me, I didn't play it, and for the reasons we discussed in our podcast, I like the game, but I just think it has a limit to it. I just don't see how people can continually enjoy it and and i'm willing to be proved wrong i think that once you get to a certain point in the game i don't know how much more it has to offer but each to their own and it certainly was being enjoyed by all who played it you're a fool <laughs> it's been said many times be damned fool <laughs> oh i did play to play it on sunday and it was such a fun game, especially fun because the plays that when I got most of my playing was a few months ago and I was generally teaching the game a lot. So people were discovering how it played and not necessarily investigating different strategies into the game. This time round, I played it with people and most of them had played it before and therefore they knew what was coming and they knew the decks and they knew relative strengths and weaknesses or they thought they did. 
I randomly drew Italy, which can be difficult to play, but it was just a really fascinating game. The game plays over 20 rounds, and after 18 rounds, the Axis were in the lead. We had developed an African and Asian empire between the Italians and the Germans. There was a four-way fight going on for India I'd never seen before between Japan, Italy, I got all the way across to India, and Russia made a big, huge land grab across Asia as well and got down to China and also India. And America had popped up in Sichuan, and they were fighting in there. And, and India's the place where Britain usually turns up and they weren't even in there. And then there was fantastic use by Lloyd as the USA. He got into Britain and he uses economic warfare cards and he started bombing the living who knows what out of Germany. So that by that round 19, everything fell apart. Germany stopped scoring points. Japan stopped scoring points and been kicked out of mainland Asia. Italy stopped scoring points and couldn't defend anymore. And eventually both Germany and Italy were taken by the Allies for a comprehensive immediate victory in round 20 of 20. It had been just an amazing game. And every time I play it, I see something different happen in the game. Sean, I don't understand your objection. There's always something different going on. I just haven't seen it yet, Ronan. I, I played the game a few times with yourself and I really liked it enough to buy it. And then I, I played it a few more times and it just, the game didn't change for me. I seem to be doing the same things. I'm glad to hear that you were doing really well with the Axis because that was one of my issues. Like, how well can the Axis do? It always seemed to me that the Allies were, would win in the games. But I'm always willing to give it a go. I just never got around to it at LobsterCon this time. But I've traded my copy. But we shall see. To be continued. Don't hate the game, hate the player. <laughs> So, finishing on the big highlight of LobsterCon, that's all the games we've played. I hope you enjoyed the summary. Let's take it to the bridge. So, thank you very much for listening to us going on about our wonderful weekend at Eastbourne. That was all the games, as Ronan said, that we played throughout the weekend. We had a fantastic time. Thank you to everyone who played with us, taught us games, learned games, had drinks and food and a general wonderful time. We'll do it all again in the autumn. And if people like this episode, maybe we'll do another summary of all the new Essen games we play down in Eastbourne. Sean, where can everyone find us and what should they do? Well, bro, we can be found on email at the gamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. Come and find our page there. We're also on Twitter at GamePit Podcast. We have a Board Game Geek Guild where there's lots of chat and discussions to be had. So come along and join us there. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network where you can find gaming podcasts of the highest calibre. And we are also equally proud members of 2d6.org, where you can find gaming goodness in written audio and visual format. Music by E. Aaron, and production by G. 